Okay. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys spending your Tuesday night with me. And when I talk, I'm going to be moving around a lot, so I'm going to apologize up front because I'm not a guy who sits very still. And in fact, I think I'll probably move that. Um, I like to find out who I'm talking to. So what I'd like to find out is, first of all, um, how many of you are parents of affected kids? Okay, so that's who I'm talking to. How many of you have a neuroimmune disorder? Okay. Yeah, personally. How many of you know other people beside your kids who have them in your family? Yeah, that's what I thought, okay? So tonight, I usually can talk about all kinds of subjects because neuroimmune disorders spans a huge spectrum of people of all ages. So I really just started to talk about what I really am starting to say in the office these days is that I'm not treating a person here, I'm treating a family, okay? Because in a lot of ways, your child coming to the doctor and being sent is actually, or being seen is actually a blessing to the family. Okay, and you might not think about it that way and most people say, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. This can be a scourge. It's a scourge on society, but it actually won't be if we can just give you some hope because I can sit up here today and tell you that I can give you hope about healing your kids whether you believe it or not. Okay, and I love skeptics. I love them because those are the people that really make me look good. Okay, so let's talk about this subject. Now, the primary questions that I want to answer tonight are what in the heck is a neuroimmune disorder? And why should we care about neuroimmune disorders? And then why do doctors know so little about neuroimmune disorders, right? Never heard of it before, have you? Okay, and how did you develop or how did they develop this issue? How do we recognize these issues? Is there a way to reverse these issues? And then even better, how do we recognize the risk and prevent them? So if we can answer all those, then we're gonna be armed with knowledge that nobody can actually uh, make us quiet, okay? Because you know how the medical community is. They hate people like me, okay? I, uh, in fact, one of my employees today, so, um, came up to me and told me that I should probably write a book today or, and write a book that would say, the Lord told me to get out of the box. <laughs> okay? And I think that's really important because that's what I am. I'm out of the box. And I want to tell you that there's a reason we're out of the box and how I got there will be a very unique story. Okay? I am a skull-based surgeon. I used to open heads every week. That was my job. Open heads to take out tumors, cut nerves, because in the old medicine, the way I was taught is if this nerve is not working well and it's wreaking havoc on your life, what you do? You cut it. So I'd have to sit there and tell you, well, you know, this is really giving you trouble. Let's just open your head up and cut that nerve and you won't have to worry about it anymore. And so that's what I did for many years. But I had to realize that, hey, once you cut that nerve, you got a whole other set of problems trying to get that patient back to normal. Okay? And that just didn't sit with me. Sit well, it didn't sit well at all. So after a while, one day, and I'll never forget this, it was one day in 1997 that I was sitting there under the microscope looking at this nerve that I was getting ready to cut, and it did not look abnormal. And I was saying, now why in the world am I cutting this nerve? Why can I not heal it? Okay, well I went ahead and did the operation because I already had the head open. But I went home and I started thinking about it and praying about it, and I realized that I was not a healer. Doctors are not healers anymore. We're technicians. 
we got these disorders and when we diagnose them, this is our little box of tools and this is what we give you because the drug companies tell us this is what we're supposed to give for that. Now, I'm, trying, I'm trying not to be critical of my other physicians, but I'm telling you that you'll find out, especially in this, this, these disorders, that's what's going on. We treat symptoms these days because we like short-term satisfaction as patients instead of really helping the body heal itself, okay? So I'm gonna take you through my knowledge, my learning, and how everything's happened on how we can get the body to heal itself, okay? Now, neuroimmune disorders, neuro means nervous system, immune means immune system. So these are disorders that affect the nervous system and immune system, okay? And they're extremely large and growing group, and in fact, it probably affects up to 30% of the population at any time during your life, okay? That's huge, okay? Two major groups that everybody will know something about, autism in this room for sure, right? Wreaks havoc on your life. How about Alzheimer's? Okay, now why in the world would you talk about Alzheimer's and autism in the same discussion? Those people are vastly different in age, okay? I'm so glad all of you came. Well, the answer is they're very similar. And unless you know the literature around that and know the literature of that, you're weak. You don't have the power of knowing the literature from all angles. So when we group all these together into neuroimmune disorders, disorders that affect the nervous system and immune system, the literature and how we can understand the, the disorder expands exponentially. Am I making sense? So everybody knows somebody with these issues. Everybody, okay? And it's very confounding to physicians and patients. And all you have to know why it's confounding is because we name them according to the symptoms. So I bet you didn't know that neuroimmune disorders in children is everything from autism, ADD, ADHD, PDD, Asperger's, learning disorders, asthma and severe allergy, neuroimmune disorder, severe allergies, seizures, migraines, hearing loss, oculomotor abnormalities, neuroimmune disorder, okay? And in adults, boy, we can go on forever. Okay, I'll point out some big ones. Migraines, vertigo, dizziness, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, adult ADD, anxiety disorders, depression, bipolar, autoimmune disorders like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, Alzheimer's, dementia, MS, Guillain-Barre, dysautonomias. Now, how many people have those in their family? Okay. Now, how many people had a child that was affected? And how many have those in their family? Ah, it's the same. Wow, isn't that crazy? Now, don't take me for a smart aleck, but that's what you finally get to understand after you see enough of these kids. Because you wind up seeing their parents and their grandparents and their cousins and their uncles and aunts and everybody else, okay? So, what is abnormal in a neuroimmune disorder? So if you ask doctors, what, is, what are these things? They'll start naming symptoms, okay? And they'll say, oh, well, we got immune problems, we got severe food allergies, we got developmental delay, we got low muscle tone, poor healing, mitochondrial weakness, neurochemical deficiency, hormonal deficiency, enzymes, poor toxic clearance, chemical sensitivities, infectious overgrowth, aggressive inflammation. So what causes these things? They don't know. Do you know? Well, there is no genetic syndrome because we know these run in families. 
that can be so severe and accurate in all those different things that it would affect all of these things all at once. That doesn't make any sense. That you'd have this group of genes across this entire population that all of a sudden got transferred just right for all these things to be affected at once. But what does make sense is there may be one thing that's really important to a whole lot of systems that may not be present. Doesn't that make more sense? Okay. And my patients are sitting here going like that. I know you are. But in general, this is a very complicated process. So why do most doctors care so little about these? Because they don't know what to do. It's overwhelming. I can't see you in five minutes and walk out the door. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of knowledge. You've got to know biochemical, neurophysiologic, immunology, hormonal medicine, genetics, nutrition, anti-infective, supplementation, toxins, and therapy. You've got to speak all those languages. So in general, the way the medical society and reimbursement is kind of set up now, it's too complex. I don't have time for it. And in fact, if you are on my side and you train with other doctors, it's like, oh, I can't believe that patient's in here with chronic fatigue. Oh, I hate that. Oh, oh, another fibromyalgia? Oh, and heaven forbid, an autistic patient. Okay, I hate to tell you that, but that's the way it is. Now, physicians do not have medications to heal these syndromes, okay? But it does not mean that the good Lord did not put into you the ability to heal these things, okay? And the day I resign myself to that fact, okay, and I might not be speaking to everybody here that's religious, but the only way that we can really heal these problems is to put back into the body what's missing and take advantage of the good Lord's ability that's already designed into you to heal yourself from these problems. And the day I realized that is the day that everything changed. Okay? So biomedical intervention is basically what we're practicing. How do we unwind and replace all the things that are necessary to make a normal person? Okay? And that's pretty much what we do. And so we have to sometimes overcome genetic insufficiencies, use anti-infectives, use allergy control, customized supplementation, and sometimes avoidance. All the things that just about anybody needs to do. Okay? So how do we recognize it in the first place? Well, it turns out it's a very simple sniff test. Okay? Brain problems, and many of you might think that your child's brain is messed up. It is not. Your child's brain is perfect 99% of the time. Now, if you've got seizures, it might be a little messed up. But if I take a computer and I put a bad program in it, what happens? Does the computer work well? No. So we can mess up the way the brain functions by having a bad brain or by having bad software. Okay? Now, if you hurt the computer, no matter what kind of software you put into it, it stays the same every day. It's static. I've seen lots of injuries like that. Stroke. It's post-surgical. Let's say I have a stroke and I can't move my arm. Well, how's my arm the next day? And the next day. I don't have it moving good one day and then the next day not moving well. So, 
So if these things are static and they're the same every day, we've got a brain problem. But if they're changing, dynamic, good days and bad days, then we've got a feeding the brain problem. Am I making sense? So how many of your children have good days and bad days? <laughs> Every one of them. So how can I sit here and say it's not a brain problem? Well, most doctors will say that's ridiculous. You can't say that. Well, I'm going to say it. Because if we fix the way the information goes to the brain, then that child becomes normal. Now, it may take a lot of work and a lot of time. This doesn't happen overnight. And all of you that see me know that. But you also know if we do it right, you will always know that things are happening. <laughs> okay? So nervous system symptoms and neuroimmune disorders are a result of inflammatory flux. Things are making that nervous system change the way it's sending information to the brain. Now I want you to get very familiar with this slide because if you've been to my office, you've seen it. And it's the way I understand things today. Okay? We know that there is a predisposing genetic profile for everybody that gets into neuroimmune syndromes. Now, you won't know you have it unless we check for it because it doesn't make you look weird or anything on the outside. Okay, but it consists of three abnormalities of which two are really common and the third is reasonably common. Now, this doesn't cause anything by itself and as long as your life is going great and you don't have any major stressors in it at all, and you never get sick and everything's great, you'll never know you have it. But if you get a triggering event, something that comes along and causes damage or inflammation or irritation of the nervous system, then this genetic predisposition gives you a poor ability to heal it back to normal. So I'm going to sit in here and tell you, we can discuss vaccines, we can discuss trauma, concussions, all kinds of things, toxins, but it doesn't really matter. It does matter socially so we can help everybody else, but it doesn't matter in your baby. What caused it? What matters is how well do we help that baby have the ability to recover what they've already lost. So I've seen autism, for instance, happen from vaccines, without a doubt the most common triggering event we deal with, period. Varicella and MMR are live viral vaccines. Three of the four attack the nervous system. So every baby who gets an MMR, that virus attacks the nervous system and causes inflammation. Every single baby. That's why a lot of them run fever. A lot of them don't feel good the next day, okay? But the babies who do not have this genetics heal back to normal very rapidly, just like the good Lord planned. But the babies who have predisposing genetics or weakness don't heal back very quickly, if at all. Am I making sense? Very common sense approach. So if you don't heal, where are you stuck? Okay, so let's talk about this process. And the reason I have this as a vortex is because that's what it feels like. Okay? So predisposing genetics. Well, biomarkers and genetics. Guess what? We learned the whole human genome. We coded everything. And then once we figured out that only 10% of it we could really explain, we said 90% of it's junk. 
Okay? Is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Okay? I'm a Christian man. I guarantee you 90% ain't junk. That's just not how the good Lord works. Well, it turns out that we were wrong. Oh, we can't believe it. Did you know you can turn genes on and off? And some of those other genes code for things that actually turn genes on and off. Okay, and that's called epigenetics. So you cannot treat a genetic disorder by knowing what the gene is because you don't know whether it's off or it's on. So you can go to the geneticist and you can have thousands of tests run and how many of you have done that? Okay, and you spent $10,000 and you can't do anything about it. So we have to have special things called biomarkers. These are the substances that those genes code for to tell us whether that gene is working or not. Do you understand? And biomarkers are usually proteins or amino acids or fatty acids that indicate the status of how well those genes are working, whether they're normal or abnormal. Am I making sense? And it's important for the treatment because we can't treat a gene. How many of you have heard of the MTHFR gene? How many know if it's on or off in you? Well, we can find out. We'll check a biomarker. How many of you have heard about S-adenosyl homocysteine aldolase? Is it off or on in you? Exactly. Okay? Now, I'm getting into kind of my smart-ass mode, so please forgive me. Okay? <laughs> but I'm trying to make a point. Okay? It really is impossible for us to treat these genes. It's great to study them, and I'm very happy that doctors have, but they're not treating people with them. Okay? Well, the predisposing genetics that you really need to know about in these disorders is the big three. Okay? Methylation deficiency, and we're going to talk about that ad nauseum tonight. Okay? And the marker for that is homocysteine. Okay? Vitamin D deficiency, well, the marker for that is vitamin D. Okay? And then a COMT polymorphism, which is the enzyme that breaks down dopamine in the brain, the marker for that is nervous system reflexes. Okay? So biomarkers do not have to be a blood test. They can also be electrical tests. It's a marker to tell us a specific biologic process. Okay? Well, these ultimately affect three primary areas. The immune response and regulation, the nervous system recovery and healing potential, and the ability to process neurotransmitters. So the big three, we're going to talk about threes tonight. And if you know threes, you've got a great chance of getting your baby well. The predisposing genetics give us a problem with the immune system. Now the immune system is divided up into T cells, which are killer cells, and B cells, which are inflammatory allergic cells. So we have these babies who have lots of infections. They've got yeast, bacteria, fungus, viruses. Okay, so T cells don't work well, right? And then we got babies who have lots of allergies, food sensitivities that are crazy, like Lisa's child. Okay, a hundred things. Okay, so how does that happen? Well, the only way you can explain it 
If something is making the T cells weak so they can't kill things, they take advantage of you. Well, we have a built-in mechanism that when T cells go down, we turn on the B cells and make them more active. So bad asthma, bad allergies, okay? Aggressive inflammation, a mosquito bite that goes from this to that in five minutes is a sign of a methylation deficiency or an immune dysfunction. Am I making sense? Okay. So you have to understand this, that these are responses that are the right response. We're just observing them. Because many people think, oh, those allergies are horrible. We've got to stop them. Well, you can't. The only way you can stop them, make those cells normal again. Let the body do it. Because you can try steroids, and you can try antihistamines and antileukotrines and just about every medicine we have, and you can't get a hold of them. Making sense? Now, T-cell weakness gives us basically poor infection control. So how many of your babies had lots of ear infections when they were little? A lot, right? You have difficulty with clearing or containing viral infections. We all get exposed. We all have chicken pox in us. We didn't get vaccinated. We all have chicken pox. They're still in us. But as long as our immune system's healthy, they'll stay dormant. And weakness of this neuroimmune problem only affects the T cells and not the B cells, and we're not really sure why that is. But it is what we see. Now, B cell hyperactivity told you, causes exactly what I told you. Asthma, severe allergies, and food sensitivities. That's why you see it in your babies. Okay? Now, a methylation deficiency is something, the second part of this problem that I really want you to understand because it tends to be the key of this process. Okay? Now, the simple analogy I use for this problem is that if I take oil out of the ground and I don't send it to the refinery and I go stick it in the gas tank in my truck, how far am I going to drive? And what's the answer? Right. It's the right stuff. It's just not in the right form. Well, it turns out that when we deal with vitamins like B12 and folic acid, these vitamins, because our body is made up of water and oil, have to be in the right form in order to get in the right places. Okay? So we have the water system, which is 80% of our body, and we have the oil system, which is fat in the body, and that coats nerves and it coats immune cells. And when I finally woke up and realized this about five years ago, it was a big day. We can't get water vitamins into the fat cells or past the fat cells to get where they need to go unless the body methylates those vitamins. So we have to take B12 and folic acid, and we have to get it into the body, and we have to chemically refine it by sticking a methyl group on it. Okay? And that makes it soluble in oil. So then it can get into the nervous system. Okay? Am I making sense? Now, why is that important? Well, it turns out it's not methyl B12. How many of you use methyl B12 in your kids? Just about everybody. That was Dr. Newbrander's work. Pretty smart work, right? But it wasn't the whole answer. Because when you're a nerve surgeon, <laughs> you tend to look at things a little different. I was trained different than most of the doctors in this area. Because the key really is methylfolate. Okay? 
because methylfolate can explain everything. Why did you take prenatal vitamins when you were pregnant? Because they have folic acid, and if you don't have enough folic acid, what happens? The nervous system doesn't develop. So how well do you think a nerve heals after it's damaged without folic acid? Right, so it'll give you poor neural healing. Well, if you don't have enough, it turns out we have to take tyrosine amino acid and convert it to dopamine, okay? And that needs a cofactor. That enzyme needs a cofactor. How far does a Ferrari drive without gas? Okay, it looks pretty, but it doesn't work without gas. That's a cofactor. Well, the conversion of dopamine requires methylfolate. Now, if you don't have any methylfolate, you're not going to be here. You can't be alive without it. So your babies make some methylfolate, but they just don't make enough. So their dopamine is limited. And dopamine controls short-term memory concentration, focus, organizational skills, mood stability, fine motor skills, sleep patterns, hormonal regulation, eye movements, eye focusing, and also bowel motility. Did I miss anything for your babies? So when a nerve surgeon looks at a baby who's autistic, he doesn't go, oh, that baby's got autism. He goes, that baby ain't got no dopamine. Do you understand? So why? Because you don't have enough methylfolate to make the enzyme work right. Poor hormonal function. And why is that? Well, because dopamine stimulates hormone production. And then growth hormone, really important hormone in babies, delivers fats and proteins and minerals and cholesterols. So with all those supplements you're putting into your babies, if your growth hormone is not working, how many of them go where they're supposed to be? So how many of your babies like sugar? That's because insulin doesn't need it. So they're not dumb. You can give them a great meal with great protein and vegetables, and they'll go, that's nasty. It doesn't make me feel any better. I need bread. I need chips. I need mashed potatoes. I need sugar. Am I making sense? And then T-cell weakness, just like we talked about. So methylfolate's the key. And that's a great key, because you know what? That's simple. Yes? Yeah. There's a hormone called insulin. There's a hormone called growth hormone. It, may, it goes from the brain, made in the pituitary. Dopamine controls the pituitary, so you don't make it very well. That's why a lot of these kids are little. It goes to the liver and makes a bunch of hormones called growth factors. And growth factors need cofactors like certain uh, vitamins to make them work. And growth factors deliver fats, proteins, cholesterols, and minerals to cells but not sugar, that's insulin. So if this one's not working right and I can't deliver fats, proteins, cholesterols, and minerals very well, what am I gonna be living on? The one that I can get to my cells, and that's sugar. Okay? Takes a lot of thinking to understand this. It's not simple. It's not even simple for doctors. Now, how do we know if you have this methyl methylation problem? Well. It turned out it was right under our nose, we just didn't know it. How many of you have heard of homocysteine before? Okay, now you can Google it today and you will read two million articles on Google 
on homocysteine being too high and causing cardiovascular risk and some articles on neurological risk, et cetera. And that's been known for 15 years, okay? So when we were looking at heavy metal toxicity, which somebody brought up here, when you go back the pathway onto how we make those proteins that get rid of heavy metals, you come across homocysteine as one of the byproducts. And I said, I know that. Let's start checking it in these babies. And it turned out they came back low, which we were taught that was good. And first I said, great, it's low, I guess that's not our answer. But we kept checking it, and it was really low. And we kept checking more, and it was really low. And more, and it was really low. And only two people had even mentioned it briefly in a couple of talks. Well, I can tell you that what we know about these genes is that some of them are off and some of them are on and depends on the baby, okay? But most of them have both SAHA and also MTHFR on, which gives you a low homocysteine, not high. So what I want you to know about homocysteine is the normal range in your lab work will be from 5 to 12. So anything below 5 is, is abnormal, and anything above 12 is abnormal. Okay? Well, when we decided to go ahead and check all the patients with neuroimmune disorders, and we've checked 1,700 of them, not just a few. And how many of you have babies in here with spectrum disorders? How many of you know that you have a low homocysteine too? You'll be shocked. Because no matter how we checked it, 87% of all patients of all ages had homocysteines below 6.75 or above 12, with the majority of them being low. And even if we went down to five, 77% of all patients, not just babies with autism, all patients had low homocysteine. Now why is that important? That's a biomarker. We can use that. I can show you on my electrical test that you probably have it, but knowing most people, they want to see it on a blood test because that's kind of how we think, okay? I would encourage all of you to go check it. Just tell your doctors, I've got a homocysteine problem. Now, you don't have to tell them that low is abnormal because they won't know that. <laughs> but just tell them, my baby's got a homocysteine problem. I want to know what mine is. And if it comes back low, the doctors say, well, you're perfectly fine. That's great. And you'll know it's not, okay? Because whenever we have a low homocysteine, I'm going to show you it creates a lot of problems because it tells us that our refinery is broke. So homocysteine defines in us how well our refinery works. Do you understand? Now, this COMT problem is basically how fast your body breaks down dopamine. Now, how many of you know people that are happy-go-lucky and no matter what happens, they're always happy and if they get mad, they're over it in five seconds and the world is a great place and why can't everybody get along and I just don't understand it. I sleep great, I wake up happy. How many of you know people like that? Well, God bless them because they are great. They are golden. Okay, that's the way we wish we all were. And then how many of you know people that no matter what happens, it's no big deal? Manana. Oh, I got a grand new job. They're going to pay me $100,000. Okay, dude, that's great. 
Okay, that's another type. And then how many of you know people with depression and anxiety? And that's the most common, unfortunately. And that's called a met-met. And people with met-met break down dopamine the slowest. And a lot of these babies have that. Those are the babies with aggression and anxiety and all these things. And boys show anxiety with aggression and girls tend to show it with withdrawal. Okay? Now, the problem is, is that you really won't know it until you get into that syndrome. But the way I can explain it is if you get set into a mood that day, good luck getting out of it that day. You understand? If I wake up anxious, I'm going to be anxious all day. And how many of you had kids like that? How many of you are like that? Exactly. So we can help that if we use what we call methyl donors. And these are certain amino acids, and you'll know some of these well, because if you turn over a can of Red Bull or Monster or things like that, you're going to see these things. Okay? And how many of you see the high school kids carrying around those Red Bulls and Monster drinks these days? It's crazy, isn't it? Well, those kids all have methylation disorders. So you want to know how many kids have it? Go watch the high schools after school gets out and see how many kids carry around Monsters or Red Bulls. I know because Kara, my sister, used to work for Red Bull for nine years. <laughs> and when I tried some of it, because I got a methylation problem, it was great. <laughs> okay? Well, what they have in those is taurine. So they use a little caffeine to stimulate dopamine, and then they put taurine in there to make it work better. So we have certain neurotransmitter supports, advanced neurotransmitter supports, things like that to help your children break down their dopamine quickly if they have anxiety, mood fluctuation that's huge, and also problems with uh, aggression. Okay? If you're one of my patients, you've probably tried it. The problem is these things don't taste very good. So Red Bull and Monster have done a really good job of putting all that sugar in there to cover up the taste. Okay? Now, if you have these genetics, what I'm going to recommend is that we have no vaccine or amalgam removals during pregnancy. Okay? The mother should check the homocysteine. George, did you pull up the right talk for me? <laughs> Viral infections need treatment during pregnancy, genetic testing for both parents, and always breastfeed your infants if you have these type of issues. Okay? Now, triggering events. Oxidative stress. Anything that inflames the body causes oxidative stress. That's why you take antioxidants, right? And free radicals cause inflammation. And more inflammation, the more damage you have, right? Pretty simple stuff, okay? So we have to have an ability to clear these toxins and oxidative stressors adequately. So I'd always recommend that we put a lot more antioxidants into your children. So how many of your children eat vegetables freely? <laughs> yeah, I know she does. <laughs> She's weird. <laughs> I'm just joking. She's beautiful. I saw, her, I saw her yesterday. But that is very unusual. So there are ways for you to help it. I'd invite you to go back and try some of the antioxidant blends to help you with that. But that's why we have to put it in here. Because there is a lot of things that can cause us to have oxidative stress. And I'm talking to you too now. Now vaccines without a doubt is the most common in children because they're getting so many. 
But vaccines for adults are just as deadly. Okay? How many of you had swine flu vaccines? Oh, thank goodness. That is so great. Because did anybody tell you it affects the nervous system? Bad. It's a pandemic flu. It's not a seasonal flu. Much different animal. Okay? Infections. You can catch encephalitis, meningitis, etc. Much more common than you think. Concussions, whiplash. How many have been in a car wreck? Okay? This is a big one. Did you know now that we understand these genetics? We can go down to the University of Texas football team. We can test all the players with a screen. And I can tell you which players will recover from a concussion and which ones won't. So we now know how to give them a supplement that's just a simple lotion to put it into them so with the anticipation that they're going to get a concussion and they'll heal back from it. Isn't that great? Well, your children taught us that. And that's great. Okay? Am I making sense? This is a blessing in disguise. Because I'll guarantee you we will try our hardest to get your babies well and most of them will. Okay? Surgery. Big stressor. Children who have early surgeries for birth defects and things get a higher risk of developing um, sensory integration disorders, spectrum disorders, whatever you want to call it. Gastrointestinal inflammation. Your GI tract is as big as your skin. How would you feel walking around with a third degree sunburn all day? Well, when you got food allergies that are that severe, a hundred of them, Jake was walking around with a third degree sunburn every day. How good do you feel? Never thought of it that way, did you? That's how bad it can be in your gut. No wonder they have diarrhea all the time, some of these kids. Right? Now, propagation, unfortunately, this is where everybody comes to us who sees us. We want to stop that. And most patients really just have to, we have to stay focused on undoing everything that's necessary. And we have to have patience and knowledge to overcome these issues at this stage. Now, how do we recognize these problems differently from other doctors? How do we know when the patient's better? Pictures can't tell you anything. How many of you have computers that have messed up? Do you take a picture and send it to Dell? Doesn't work. Well, it's the same way with the brain. And vague symptoms are treated inappropriately. And in particular, your kids, a lot of them right now are doing therapies that they're not really ready to do yet. Okay? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. That's not correct. No, sir. What they're seeing, and you're talking about a PET scan probably. Well, it's a PET scan. And what they're seeing is the effects of the bad information coming to the brain. Okay, they also write all kinds of articles. In fact, the latest one in time was this little neonate baby barely sitting up and does this child have autism? That's the wrong question. It's can this child get autism? Can it develop autism? And the thing you have to be careful with these studies, and it's the hardest thing to do in these studies, is comparing it to normal children. So what they were really saying is, yeah, we did kids with autism and they had this change on their brain scan where these kids who were normal didn't have it. Well, how do you get rid of that? That's the real question you want to know, right? 
You don't want to know if your kid has autism by a brain scan. You don't have to use a brain scan to tell. <laughs> Did you know there was a study last week that said women who gain too much weight in birth have children that become obese. So they were blaming the moms who gain too much weight in birth for the child's obesity. Well, they never stopped to think that women who gained too much weight were probably poor women who ate a bunch of crap. And when they had their children, they fed them a bunch of crap and they got heavy. I mean, you can, you can, I can write a study that proves anything I want if I ask the right question. What the question is, is how do we take these babies with autism and make them well? Okay? And I don't need to be critical, but I have enough credentials that I can go anywhere in the country and walk into any medical school and I can say that same thing. Because I have the right to say it. And you can't tell me any otherwise. And that's the only difference between you going in there and saying it and me going in there and saying it. Okay? Oh, okay. Now, I'm going to try to get... So Sense Review tells us about... If you've ever been to my office, we use Sense Review. It's a system to tell us where the nervous system is functioning. And basically, our nervous system has to receive information from our touch and feel system, from our visual system, and from our inner ear for hearing and three-dimensional balance. Now, this system is the most touchy. Therefore, it's the easiest to screw up. Okay? And this system tends to fluctuate. It comes and it goes. It has good function and bad function. And whatever it has fluctuating function, you can't find the middle of your world. So we have two ears, one on each side of our head. And we compare one ear to the other ear because halfway in between our ears is the middle of our head. And we do it a thousand times a second. Okay? So if these ears are perfectly equal and my nerves are working great, I can find the middle of my head a thousand times a second. And why I need that is because in my second year of life, I developed two reflexes that are required for me to go on to normal development. The first is the vestibulo-ocular. Can you see my eyes? Tell everybody what my eyes are doing when I shake my head. Okay? They stay still. How do I do that? That's amazing. Okay? Well, how many of you have ever seen a video where the camera's bouncing all around? That's what your babies are seeing every day of their life. And without stability, you can't see depth. So my latest theory, and this is one of the theories here, why do more boys get affected than girls? Men are visual and women are talkers. <laughs> okay? I'm a visually dominant man. 80% of us men are. Okay? So if I mess this visual stability system up and I'm a boy, I get into more trouble than I am with I'm a girl. Because if I can't see depth as a man, I can't organize, plan, or sequence things. So how am I supposed to learn how to talk and write and do all the higher functions? Okay? Now, it doesn't mean it's not important to women. <clears throat> Don't take it that. But what it does do is it affects men much more than women. Okay? Now, the vestibulospinal reflex, if I know where the middle of my world is and I go running down a football field... This arm goes forward, this arm goes backwards, and I rotate around this center. How does an autistic baby run? Right? Because they have no sense of center, so they use their muscles to try to give them sense of center. 
Okay, so you don't need a PET scan. All you got to do is watch the baby's eyes and have them run down the hall. And I don't mean that ugly. I don't need a $2,000 PET scan and fly to California to get it. Okay? What those doctors are really saying is, if we see this, we're going to give them this medicine. Because that drug company sponsored our study. I understand. Well, the problem is control groups. How do you really define a normal child? Okay, how many of you have fluctuations in thinking from day to day? <laughs> so we all have some of this issue. It's just whether it really interferes our life or not. Okay? Now, if you don't have all this put together, either because the sensor's not working well or the wire's not working well, no matter what your age, you'll affect balance, sensations, cognition, and mood. Now, how many of people have ever seen a patient with Alzheimer's? Okay. Are they balanced? No. How many have been to an old folks home? Now, why are they in that old folks home? Because they can't take care of themselves. How many of them are wheelchairs and are with walkers and have trouble with balance? So did the balance problem cause the mental dysfunction? Or did the mental dysfunction cause the balance problem? Well, I'm here to tell you it's the balance problem causing the mental dysfunction because if I can't stand up and I'm going to fall down and hurt myself, I don't care less about taking care of myself. There's priorities in the brain. And walking around and not hurting myself is a huge priority. Yes, they're two-dimensional, and they're visually dominant. Yeah, I'll explain that to you after we talk, okay? And so in general, we use a system that tests every aspect of this, and it's in a little suite, and we have a real good-looking guy come in. <laughs> and, the mothers, and somehow the mothers always want to go with the kids to get tested. I don't know why. <laughs> and if you've ever been to my office, you know Lance, okay? But the long and the short of it is, we get an easy-to-interpret graphic summary. This stuff spits out ridiculous PhD graphics. So what we did is we put them all together and we spit it out into a report that you can understand. And so it turned out when we started using these devices, we could tell that autistic spectrum disorder, the severity of this order was all about timing. The earlier you interrupted the development, the more severe the child. Pretty common sense stuff, right? So at birth, you develop touch and feel. You touch a newborn baby, they move. Visual system kicks in two to three months. They start tracking with you. You ever seen the babies do that? And you're like, oh, he's watching me. Okay. Then at six, seven to eight months, they'll start sitting up, trying to pull up, et cetera, right? And then this... VOR kicks in at about 14 to 18. VSR, really balanced, coordinated movements instead of that baby walk, kicks in at about 18 to 24. Well, dependent on where you damage the child or stall the development by the oxidative stressor, 
defines the severity of the child. Now there's one really easy definition. If you get interrupted before 18 months, you are nonverbal. And many children will get right up to here and they'll start talking and they'll be saying words, they get the stressor and they go quiet. How many of that happened to you? Terrible, atrocious. And it's usually after a vaccine, but nobody believes you. Because we have literature that shows that autism doesn't have anything to do with vaccines. Because that's how we make all our money. That makes me mad. Now, this was a landmark study because it really showed us that the child was normal and then became abnormal. Do you understand? But unless you have a system like this to look at it, you're guessing. Now, what we really want to know, and you go to national conferences like Lisa and Angela and everybody else does, and they want, doctors want to have a blood marker to tell you whether there's inflammation in the nervous system. That's because they're blood doctors. Well, I'm a nerve doctor. We got it right here. Let's just hook a little machine up to you and I'll tell you whether there's inflammation in the nervous system right this second. And if you've been to my office, you'll see that. So seeing inflammation is just peaks and valleys on the ear testing. And the reason we use the ear is it's really important to the brain. <laughs> we can also use reflexes that are very precise to check how, well, how healthy the nerves are. So we check the nervous system to know how the nervous system's doing. We don't check the power cord to check how our computer's working if it's on. Right? Now, this is normal, and I'm going to show you that it's really easy to tell. Two ears that are equal, see the red and the blue lines are the same. You can't quite see it here, but numbers all across here that are 95s, 90s. And then a nice little circle pattern of balance with all blue stair-step pattern. That's normal. Well, here's probably what your child will look like when they show up. How many of you had that look when, if you even got that test, okay? So this is a boy that was dyslexic, speech processing, clumsy, 10-year-old. That was January 2008. We didn't even know what we know today. But if we followed the philosophy of putting back into the baby what we know is missing, then that baby will come back in six months later and this is what they'll look like. You see the difference? It's not too hard to see. Now, dyslexia is a high-functioning spectrum disorder. That's easier to fix than a true autistic child who got interrupted early in life. You've got to go further back and get to the foundations. So if your child got interrupted at 12 months, we have to go back to 12 months and get everything right again. And if your child's three or four and not speaking, I still have to go back to 12 months. And when we take six months to get him better again, they don't start speaking in six months because they're only 12 months old at that time. So then we have to catch up. Okay? So if your child's not speaking, it's going to take us nine to 12 months to get your child started speaking if they were interrupted before 18 months. That's frustrating. It would drive me nuts. So the best thing that ever happens to me is a nonverbal baby coming in and saying, hi, Dr. Stewart. <laughs> it, you, everybody should see that. Okay? 
Here's a six-year-old, hyperacusis, speech delay, discoordination, and I picked out children. We can do this in adults too, but not too hard to see that there's lots of peaks and valleys here. That's inflammation. Those are viruses attacking the nervous system. Not a very nice stair-step pattern, is it? November of 2008, here's March of 2009, smoothing pattern, nice stair-step, better organization. Not too hard to see, right? But you have a tool. Now, is this baby ready for therapy, vision therapy? How about speech therapy? How about occupational therapy? Which child do you think is going to do better, a child who looks like this or a child who looks like that? Therapy, the important part of therapy is the child you deliver to the therapist. <laughs> it's not the therapist. Do you understand? No matter how hard you try, you can't make me a world-class sprinter. I'm not the right build. I'm too old. Understand? So you can't deliver me to the greatest coach in the world for track athletes and expect me to become a world-class sprinter. Now that's a silly analogy, but it's kind of the way we do things. We're taught to shotgun our kids with every therapy and you think you're giving them the right things because I'm giving them everything that we know to give them. Well, you're overloading them. So let somebody tell you or guide you when to use your therapy dollars and when the baby's ready for the therapy. You cannot fix these babies without therapy. But you have to have them stable because if they're going up and down and up and down, which baby shows up to therapy on what day? So my job's really simple, flatten them, smooth them out, make them not fluctuate from day to day so the same baby goes to therapy every day. Does that make sense? Now treatment is really <coughs> basically helping make the immune system healthy and taking all the opportunists out of the picture first. If you hurt your knee and it swells up and you keep walking on it and it stays swollen, how well does it heal? Not well, okay. Well, if we don't stop the inflammation in the nervous system, how well can these babies heal? So how many of you took the first step? How many knew there was inflammation in the system and got rid of it? Did you? I don't recognize you, so I figured you're not a patient of ours. Oh, you have? Okay, I'm sorry. Did you see me? Because that's embarrassing. Okay. Sorry. I'm just... Well, the answer to that is we've got to stop the inflammation in order to get started. Okay, and so we have to do five things to really get these babies where they need to be. We have to reduce the neural inflammation as the first step, okay? And also we have to do that for adults. We have to evaluate and overcome the genetic variation. We have to reduce the fungal, bacterial, and allergic immune stimulation, maximize the hormonal and nutritional status, and then stabilize them to get the maximum therapeutic benefit out of your therapy, okay? So reducing viruses is pretty easy. These viruses, MMR, measles, rubella, varicella are neurotrophic viruses. Swine flu, neurotrophic virus. They get inside of nerves and they do it in every child that gets vaccinated. 
But if your immune system's healthy, then these viruses go dormant. They won't come out because they know they're going to get killed. But if the immune system's not healthy, they have all kinds of clever ways to tell, and they'll come out and start irritating this nerve. Hence, inflammation. And as long as they keep coming out and irritating this nerve, we're never going to go anywhere. Okay? So we will probably have to help the body kill these things. So we'll have to use antivirals, and these are usually the only prescriptions we typically use. We'll use Valtrex or acyclovir to trap the herpes viruses, which are DNA viruses. Okay? Papilloma is also a DNA virus. So if your kids have a lot of warts or other things like that, you may see them actually come out when we start treating them and go away. Okay? Amantadine handles RNA viruses, measles, rubella, swine flu. And it also has some other effects. It makes you more coordinated, less fatigued, and more emotionally stable. So that's not a bad thing in a lot of these kids. Now, we don't use these for a long time. Because if we have to use these forever and ever, we're not doing our job. Because we're only going to use these to knock those viruses back. And there are other options, monolaurin, olive leaf extract, lactoferrin for people who don't tolerate prescription medicines or don't like them. The only thing you need to know about natural agents is they take longer. Okay, they're not quite as targeted. And we also have other things that are naturally occurring that actually have a lot of benefit. Vitamin C, essential fatty acids, etc. Now, once we get that under control, we then have to understand our genetics. And that is knowing the homocysteine level, understanding the vitamin D, making sure the T cells are healthy, and checking sometimes immunoglobulins to make sure they're healthy. Because once we kill this virus back, what's going to start doing it when we quit the antivirals? The immune system. So the immune system being healthy is part of the cure. Okay? Now low methylated B vitamins give us poor immune function, poor neural healing, mitochondrial weakness. How many of you know what mitochondria are from, yeah, from your cell biology? They're the batteries of cells. So how well does your flashlight work with poor batteries? Doesn't, right? <coughs> well, your cells don't heal with any out energy too. And so by having a methylation disorder, you have weak cells. How many of your babies have low tone? Okay, well muscle cells have 100 mitochondria per cell. And if they're weak with 100 batteries, how about a nerve with four or five? How weak do you think those are? Little food for thought, huh? So if you got low tone, your mitochondria are really in trouble. So we have ways to actually clear those. We have poor heavy metal clearance, poor toxin clearance, and this is really defined by having a low homocysteine or a high homocysteine. So in neurobiologic standards, this is probably the most important thing for the cure of your baby from a nutritional standpoint. To replace the methylated vitamins. And that is a lotion now. We used to have to do, we tried oral, it doesn't work. We used to have to do shots, how many of you went through that? Now it's a lotion, and now it's a non-prescription lotion in three weeks. Okay? Pardon? Does that make it cheaper? 
It does make it cheaper. You don't have to pay for the pharmacist, okay? Now we're still working on, I'm trying to talk them into getting the Sam's Club size. <laughs> but we'll have to work on that. <laughs> we got advanced neurotransmitter support. Those are those methyl donors like Red Bull to help the dopamine work better. And then we also have mitochondrial support. So if your baby's got low tone, we need to try to get those mitochondria recharged because without energy you can't heal. Okay? So the methylation stabilizer has methyl B12, hydroxy B12, methylfolate, P5P, and vitamin D. That's the lotion. And if there's any one thing that is an absolute in your babies, it is putting those vitamins back in the body because those are what's missing. And that will take care of 80 to 90% of the problems with your baby's development. I cannot sit here and stress that more. I just cannot stress that any more than, I don't know what the word is. Um, it's really important, okay? Advanced Neurotransmitter has all those methyl donors. I would rec recommend you try it. Strep. How many of you heard of pandas? Okay. There's a certain form of strep called group A beta hemolytic strep that gets into the body and infects tonsils. And if it stays in the tonsil and you can't get it eradicated because tonsils have a lot of valleys and pits and stuff in them, then the body can develop an antibody to attack that that will turn around and attack the brain and cause aggression, OCD, ADD, um, tics, okay, Tourette's syndrome. I've seen all kinds of things happen. Jake went through it. Jake's had So. But the problem is, is that you have to have a methylation deficiency to develop pandas. So you can treat it with an antibiotic, but if you don't fix the methylation problem, you'll never get rid of it. Am I making sense? So we will address those issues if we need to. And it is a big issue in a lot of kids. Okay? But that sometimes requires antifungals, especially yeast agents. But you don't want to use them a long time. So a lot of doctors, in my opinion, make a mistake by putting them on them for three months. You want to guarantee that your yeast population becomes, immune, or becomes uh, ineffective or not sensitive to the medicine you're using? Put them on it for three months. 70% of community-acquired yeast right now are resistant to nystatin. 70%. It's worthless. Okay. 30% are resistant to Diflucan, our favorite drug for that. Okay? So when you use antifungals, use them in short bursts and then get on natural methods of control. And those are things like IG3X support, a probiotic, yeast block, things like that. Don't use the antifungal for long periods of time because you're missing the point. Now yeast will make kids crazy. When I get it in my blood, I go home and instead of playing with the kids, I have to lay on the couch and go to sleep. So that's when I know I've got it. But for kids, man, they just go off like you've never seen. It's like they're, you know, right around bedtime, they're running on fumes and they're just, woo! <laughs> that's kind of how they act all day. Okay? Is yeast one of the, on the blood work that you do as mm -hmm. Is that one of the Sure. Yeah, that's a big problem in adults too. Oh yeah. 
Well, no, the immune system being weak lets the yeast have the advantage. Mm -mm. Doesn't work. And what about, doesn't that advanced neurotransmitter have that methylation? It does, but the oral doesn't work. Okay, so, so when you put methylfolate, methyl B12 gets absorbed pretty well. When you put methylfolate into the bowel, it gets absorbed, but the liver removes it immediately. Right. We just didn't want to change the formula. We just left it in there so we wouldn't have to rerun a whole huge batch, but. It just doesn't work, sorry. I took it 20 times higher than that in a customized formula and still couldn't get it to work. And then I finally found two reports, two papers that told us that 96% of it gets removed immediately by the liver. So should, if you're using advanced neurotransmitter support mm -hmm. you're covering it just fine because it goes through the skin just beautifully. If you need the advanced neurotransmitter. Does that make sense? Okay, but the lotion is the key. Now we can do it with shots, but we learned with shots that no matter how we put the um, vitamin into the body, it only lasts about 13 hours. So if you want to do two shots a day, more power to you, but I can't do it to my kids, so I don't think you're going to be wanting to either. And it's best to let you tell us what we're supposed to If you want to get started, if it's a long time to see me, get started. What I'll tell you about these is you won't hurt yourself with them. And I always recommend that if you're going to try something new, try it on yourself. Because there's one person that's going to be the most similar to your child. Okay? Now we also have to evaluate food allergies. I want you to wait on that. Don't do it immediately. Because if we use the lotion and we use it for about three or four months, a lot of them will go away because I got tired of parents coming to my office crying because they couldn't figure out what to feed their babies. Okay, Lisa? Okay. I mean, if you have a hundred food sensitivities, what are you going to feed your baby? What if what they crave is sugar? Well, they're a normal kid is what I would tell you. Um, no. <laughs> um, it's really hard. They're, they're so used, they get so used to living on sugar and craving it, they just have that. It's a carb, it's a carb craving. Probably means we still don't quite have that growth hormone working as well. We've never had allergies Yes. Okay. I'm sorry guys, I don't want to keep you here forever. We got to maximize the hormonal and nutritional status. What this means, if we don't have the hormones working right, you're not delivering what you're putting in your baby. So you're wasting a lot of it. Okay? And I literally have people coming with garbage bags full of supplements. Okay? And then once you stabilize it, we have to make sure that you have the appropriate therapy at the appropriate time so you don't waste all your money. Okay? Now, I'm going to talk about one more thing with you, and that's prevention, because this is the future, because I have lots of parents who are scared to have other babies because they don't want to go through this again, and I'm here to encourage you to go ahead and have your babies, okay? But you're also going to need to know it if you're not going to have any more babies, because when your babies grow up and have babies, you're going to be the one that's going to be taking care of them. <laughs> Homocysteine changed our lives because we can check homocysteine in anybody.
and it turned out the normal range is 5 to 12. So if we took Spectrum kids and we took 413 of them who were affected, no matter how they were affected, we found out that 91% of them were below 6.5 and 78% and were below 5. Okay? All right? And 3% of children were above 10. So that high one really wasn't important. So we said, what can we do with this? So we graphed it all out, and we turned out of all those kids, here's six. And I don't think it's too hard to see that there's a whole lot of them here. Can you see that? This is what doctors love to do, these kind of graphs. Now, if we tested homocysteine in a baby who was six months old, and they were here, and we knew that the affected children were mostly here, how many of you would want to give your child a vaccine? Now I'm talking to a loaded, opinionated group, right? But here's how we decided to do it. We filed a patent to say that at six months of age, we check a homocysteine to tell us how healthy the immune system is. Because if the immune system is not healthy, those vaccines are not going to work very well. So here's a lotion for your pediatrician to sell to you to strengthen the immune system before we start the vaccines. Now you understand what we're up to? There is an economic driver to this issue. And if you empower an economic driver with another economic driver, you might have the ability to convince you. Because we're never going to win this no vaccine, always vaccinate argument. We've got to find the middle and we have to find a marker. So here's what I'm recommending. If you're going to have another baby and you have an affected child, or if you have your cousin or your sister or your brother have affected children, check a homocysteine, refuse the vaccine in the hospital. And how many of you heard of Prevnar 13? Any of you? Just got approved. 13 vaccines in one shot so we don't have to stick the baby. Now how many would you feel real good with 13 sicknesses at once? We have to be very scared, I'm telling you. And some people want to give that on the second day of life. That just passed the FDA. Right, Lisa? So at six months of age, I would not vaccinate your babies before six months of age because they are frail creatures. If you've ever held one in your hands, I'm kind of convinced that a lot of these people recommending have never really held a baby in their hands. Because you put it in a guy's hands and we're like. <laughs> right? At six months of age, let's check a homocysteine. If it's below six, let's modify that schedule. Let's not give the live viral vaccines, maybe ever, but at least let's put it off to the baby speaking. Okay? Now, people in here will just choose not to do it. Okay? Because everything that we vaccinate for is treatable except polio. Polio vaccine was the greatest thing that ever happened. Anybody remember? Anybody old enough to remember polio? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you certainly are. Well, I still treat a lot of post-polio syndrome. Those people all have methylation disorders. 
So guess what? That's what we were dealing with. Polio struck everybody, but the people who got struck and could heal got over polio. And like FDR, who got affected and didn't have the ability to heal, got affected. He what? He died? Mm-hmm. So FDR had a methylation deficiency. Sure is the world. Make sense? Okay, so polio is scary. We live next to Mexico. It's still endemic in Mexico. So if you live in Texas, you need to worry about it. And I'd probably get that when your baby's three or four because it's not a live virus. It's just a piece of a virus and it can't really infect you. Yeah. Well, you don't want them to get polio. Now, if you're going to travel to the border, I just went to Lajitas. Anybody been to Lajitas? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, I should have gotten my kids vaccinated. <laughs> so this really gives us a lot of power. Now, here's the questions. The critics of this will say, well, you don't have the normal children. What if everybody's just low at that age? Okay? So that's what we're going to work with UT on this. Because I'm only so powerful, but that big institution down there is really powerful. Huh? I'm going to use University of Texas to gather the normative data for me. I'm going to partner with a couple of the professors down there to gather the normative data. So that this paper, when it comes out, doesn't just have Dr. Stewart's name on it, but it has University of Texas at Austin on it. <laughs> yeah, and then go ahead and go. Now the vaccine companies, you go sue UT. Go ahead, have at it. <laughs> Good luck. Okay. So the the future is that we use this patent and this power to predict children who are at risk and therefore prevent autism. And even if we don't catch every one of them, we will catch a majority of them, and we should see a significant drop. Okay, because I don't think, nobody doubts that the fact that it's increasing, do you? Not in this group, right? Well, in general, I just want to give you hope today. I want you to really understand that we are now accomplishing about a 98% response rate to the therapeutics we're doing, which means these babies are getting better. Now, that is not good enough. I would say we're approaching 60% of children who are higher functioning being much more likely. A higher functioning child can come see me and I think 80 to 90% of them will do well and recover. Low functioning children, I am guesstimating it's probably about 40 to 50% that will see complete recovery. Okay? So we're getting there, we're getting better. Okay? So don't think if you have any children, friends, um, brothers, sisters, family that are so despondent by the fact that their child has um, spectrum disorder that what we know now and what we will continue to learn because you know that if you see me I'm going to have something new for you every time. Almost, isn't that right? Pretty much. Because we're getting closer and closer and closer and we can taste it. So there is actually good news. Now what you have to pay attention to is you've got to take care of these babies. And you as parents and grandparents, you have to watch yourself. Because if you get into that car wreck tomorrow, 
and you get a concussion and you have this methylation problem, you're not going to be very good to your child. You understand? So you've got to take care of yourself. Am I making sense? Your child was directed to see us to help the family, not just to help them. Okay? That was delightful talking to you, and I'm so sorry that I kept you so late.